You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 89, hashtag eat what you kill with Jeremy Crutchfield. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick is joined by a huge advocate for Eat What You Kill, Jeremy Crutchfield. Jeremy is the hunt chef and host on Sportsman's Channel. With 34 years of culinary profession and a lifetime in the woods, Jeremy has a huge knowledge base and passion for wild game and the wild harvest. We unpack some food for thought ideas and put the bead on using your harvested wild turkey. Settle in for an incredible chat on this episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. In fact, it is a muggy evening here in Michigan. I tell you, we've got 80-degree temps here in the early part of May. It's getting me excited. I mean, things are starting to green up, and I see pictures of morels everywhere. I feel like with this evening rain that we're going to get and continued 80s into tomorrow, things are just going to be popping left and right, and I'm so excited. I'm going to have an opportunity to finally get out and track down some morels. So knock on wood that I'm able to find some hot spots out there this weekend. But that's getting the cart too far ahead of this horse. We need to talk about our guest this evening. And, folks, I am joined by none other than 
than the hunt chef himself. I am joined by Jeremy Critchfield. He is host of Mountaintop Outdoors on Sportsman's Channel, and he also runs the website Hunt Chef along with his Instagram. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, where you're hailing from, are the morels starting to pop by you as well, or are you still striking out? Nick, thanks a million for having us. I'll tell you what, um, we've looked high, we've looked low, we've looked sideways, we've looked up trees, down trees, across the bank, and uh, buddy, I mean, our, our ramp crop was booming this spring, and it was up, I felt, even earlier than it should have been, as chilly as it was around here. But I and I've seen again on social, you know, lots of pics of morels, but they haven't been around our boots. I hate it, but it just hadn't been. <laughs> I I had a good talk with a buddy, and he still believes that morels are just uh, a fiction of his imagination. Like somebody made them up. It's, <laughs> it's snipe hunting all over again. They're getting us. You know, we were little kids and they told us to go out with a brown paper bag into the dark to try to find these birds. It's it's just repackaged. That's all of this joke is. <laughs> it, it's 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 pretty pretty demoralizing at times, I gotta admit. <laughs> so Jeremy, um What's been going on in your neck of the woods lately? We just talked a little bit about about the ramps that are going on. How's your how's your turkey pursuits going? Um, what's what's going on right now in your spring? Well, you know, I can tell you that it's a pretty typical spring turkey season for me. Um, I've hunted four states and shot zero birds, so that's uh, that's kind of par for the course. Unfortunately, um, actually, haven't had as many in the lap encounters and had. You know, simple, silly things go wrong is typical. Um, just finished up two days in Illinois, and the birds were just tight-lipped. I, I don't know why, but I, I threw the kitchen sink at them. Um, we were at Bigger Bucks Outfitters out in Media, Illinois, and uh, Ryan Bigger, Travis's brother, I mean, he we we hunted those turkeys in that farm like we were stalking 200-inch whitetails. And, I mean, we would bounce ahead, and it was great, and we've – We've been, we were in Maryland early twice, and it was in the mid, low to mid-20s both times. Um, had birds working, but, you know, uh, things as uh, simple as the wrong SD card, not formatted correctly in a camera. Um, PA, we got in a blind with my son. The birds hammered on the roofs 50 yards behind us, and I waited till they flew down. And then when I called, they were 100 yards away already, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks for um, ripping the scab off that fresh wound for me, Nick. <laughs> Appreciate hey, you, buddy. I'm so sorry, Jeremy. I, I tell it's you, this is, this is chess, not checkers, all right? We ain't jumping right. things here. It's it's full-on onslaught with these birds. They, I mean, they are stalked after, hunted after, more than us humans ever get a chance to. I mean, just to have something trying to eat you every single day you know, yeah. it makes you as as a person. I know it makes me feel the same way when I'm chasing even just lowly squirrels. Like the humbling experience you get when things just completely fall apart, and you do you yeah. realize like without our brains, we would never make it. So thank goodness for our hunter and or our hunter backgrounds and our scavenger uh, upbringings that we were able to to get this far. Yeah, how about it? You know, I mean, you think about if a tom makes it to four, say even five years old, 
you think about the near death encounters that that bird has had through that time. I mean, even starting it, you know, when it was still in the egg with all the nest raiders out there, lucky enough to make it through that. And then hawks, coyotes, uh, crows, owls, uh, coons. I mean, you foxes, you name it. I mean, they're, they're, they're after those birds on a regular daily basis. And, uh, you know, my hat's off to old Tom. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, good, good. Well, sorry for opening up that fresh wound. Um, this will help a little bit. You have created, I would say, a channel that folks can really get behind. Um, in you know, just with Mountaintop Outdoors and with your brand of Hunt Chef, it's I know it's something near and dear that to my heart that gets me excited. Um, when did when did you start your brand here of Hunt Chef? What what kind of got you started in the whole idea of trying to mix culinary and outdoor pursuits together? Well, you know, I grew up here in Southwest PA with my granddad, and I mean, it was a way of life. There was no social media. There were no websites, blogs, you know, celebrity hunters or chefs, even at the time. It was just, you know, what we did. You know, we went squirrel hunting, we went rabbit hunting, we went deer hunting, et cetera, et cetera. And we cooked everything. And, you know, my granddad and grandma were great cooks, and, you know, we ate really good. And, you know, when you're growing up, you have no reference, you know, and, in, in the mid to late 1970s, early 80s in Pennsylvania. I mean, you read, you know, Field and Stream, Outdoor Life, but I mean, that was it. You watched John Wayne on TV. Um, and then I started cooking in high school, went to culinary school, worked, was blessed to work all over the country with people from every nationality and walk of life you could ever think of um, throughout, my, throughout my career. And I was uh, in an executive chef role back here in Pennsylvania at a, at a really nice resort and, you know, had local friends. And, you know, so I've been cooking professionally 20 plus years at the time. And they're like, hey, uh, you got a good deer meat recipe? Hey, my son got a squirrel. What, what can I do with this thing? Hey, you know, we got a rabbit and so on and so forth. And I'm like, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to start a company. I'm going to start a website. You know, at the time, there's no Facebook. There's no Instagram, TikTok, et cetera. I'm going to start a website. And I'm going to just fill it with wild game recipes. And this is going to be, you know, great. And then everybody can leave me alone. I can just say, go look at my website and download recipe 439. Well, you know, um, I got the company, the LLC founded, I bought the domain name and then things just went sideways. I changed jobs, um, adopted three kids, moved to West Virginia. I mean, things were haywire for a while, but then wound up moving back here to PA. And a few years into that, um, I met my partner in Mountaintop, the owner, you know, Jeremiah Voidhoff, my partner in the TV show, he owns Mountaintop Outdoors. That's his brand. And, you know, he, again, Southwest PA native, grew up as much the same way love to cook and you know we just hit it off we're like let's do this kind of partnership thing you know the one two you know the 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 hunter the catch and and then the cook and i'm like let's roll and from there then you know i continued to uh work on packaging uh, my recipes for rubs sausage kits jerky kits brine kits and you know we designed a couple t-shirts and hats and you know we got a youtube channel with a bunch of stuff and we got a tv show and you know, we still don't know what we want to be when we grow up, but we're having a hell of a good time doing it. <laughs> that sounds like the dream right there. As soon as you figure out what you want to do when you grow up, like, yeah, it's already, like, dead and gone. So I'm glad to hear that you guys are still, like, having a blast with it. Because I know just absorbing content, seeing guys being able to use their wild harvest in so many different ways, like, that just fills my my YouTube feed. 
it's just constant. I turn it on, and I, I want to see what people are making. I want to see what people are doing, and you betcha. So a bunch of your views, yeah, are going to be uh, Huntivore here checking out Hunt Chef on what he's making on his YouTube channel. So it's it's really gotten, I know, me excited. I was late to the game on the hunting and fishing. Saw it forever here in Michigan growing up. Um, we have a family uh, poultry farm, so you know turkey hunting is not a big deal. I just walk in the bar and choose the one that I want. Yeah, but at the same time, it's you know all hands on deck for the farm. I was a wrestler through high school, so that November was gone, so I I didn't have any time to chase critters, and so it wasn't until I finally went out on my own that was like, man, I want to I want to try this pursuit out. So once I was older, I was able to have time to to get out and try hunting. Little did I know that it's going to be an obsession that I just, that's all I think about is, you know, I look at a little patch where we at soccer today and I just looked at the long grass and where a couple oak trees were at. And I saw a lone birch that was just kind of by itself. And I'm like, I think I need to go check that birch out because I darn, there's probably a morel there. If one exists, there should be one there. There, there was not. So during my pee break, uh, I could only, I, I scanned around it, didn't find anything, but yeah, had to go back to practice a little bit more amped up then. Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, and the other side of the Hunt Chef brand is more and more, you know, I've, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to have three kids and getting um, that next generation out, getting them excited about it is, you know, it, it's harder now than, than ever. I mean, you think about as a parent, a guardian, um, a grandparent, an uncle, aunt, whatever, to, uh, to get a kid away from electronics and that, that are feeding Lord knows what, social or videos or whatever else, sports, schoolwork. I mean, it, the, the, the time left today is a, is a, a, a millimeter, you know, compared to what it was, you know, when, when I grew up and even, you know, a few, 10 or 15 years ago with everything streaming now, everything 24 seven now. So to shut that down, <laughs> that kid out of bed, you know, at four thirty in the morning, and expect them to be excited about it. We got our we got our work cut out for us. So that's where you know my hunt chef piece um, with that with the brand and the mission is, you know, to help people better prepare their harvest. But it's also to get that next generation out there because if you get them out there, and if you're lucky enough to catch or kill something, then get them in the garage, the barn, you know, on a picnic table, the skidding pole, and in the kitchen, um, and bring it full circle, explain to them, you know, that um, food just doesn't show up on a shelf at Walmart. You know, there's there's ways to bring that um, home yourself. And I'm sure, you know, what you're doing with the family farm is, is a great reference for your young ones. But, um, and then making it taste delicious and want, making them want to go back and get more. So that's a big piece of what I do. And we do a Facebook Live um, every Tuesday. Just this next week, we're moving to 830s and you know, probably seven out of 10 of those. Um, my son, Warren, he's 10. He, he's on there with me. He was on there last night. We were cooking a walleye in a, in a foil wrapper with a bunch of good stuff. And he was in a little bit of rare form last night, giving me a hard time more than usual. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, he uh, he's there. You know, he's part of it. And he helped catch it and he helped cook it and he helped eat it. So that's a that's a W in my column. And you said you these are these are your adopted kids. Yes. Excellent. Bless you, sir. My yeah. wife uh, works social work, and 
she's she's seen the impact that adoption can do for kids and how how that's a huge impact. So bless you on that. Well, it, it's, it's a heck of an impact cool. for, the, uh, for the receiving parents as well, you know, and they extended family around. But I mean, it's just been, you know, from the first I, and heck, it was I was 40 years old, you know, um, and me and my wife at the time went from zero to three and holy mackerel, you know, it, it's it's not just about the kids, brother. <laughs> there's a whole network happening there. But anyhow. Well, perfect. I'm glad to hear you. So, yeah, you said the 10-year-old is is getting into that. What was – was that like a real eye-opening experience? Had he never experienced anything of wild outdoors, or um, did he kind of have an idea of what was going on? What was like? What was it like being a 40-year-old dad now and showing this to a, a 10-year-old? Well, so it, it's been 10 years um, – so he and his sisters, so I, I, the adoption all happened, um, all three of them pretty quickly together. The girls are natural sisters. They were two and four at the time. Um, but, uh, Warren, he would, we're there in a delivery room, basically uh-huh. take a uh, delivery of, of a newborn, um, flew him home from San Diego, seven days old. Um, so, you know, he, he hasn't known anything else. Um, and the girls again are very young, two and four. So. Um, and they're they're not as into the uh, the outside, but um, they love being outdoors. And I mean, they're 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 incredible athletes and so smart it's scary. So just amazing, <laughs> just amazing, beautiful kids. I mean, couldn't be more blessed. Amen, amen. Well, I know people pick your ear on you know what should, what should I do with this piece of meat, and you know how do how do I cook this? And don't you worry, we we will get to that. But I wanted to take an opportunity to you know while I got you sitting here to really have some time for food for thought that we put our time and effort. I mean, you yourself, your passion of food and your passion into the outdoors, you know, bringing that together in, into hunt chef to, to really put some weight behind the words that we're saying that it's not just motions that we're going through, or we don't do this just to gain popularity. I mean that, you know, it's one of those things that you get 15 minutes of fame and then it's gone but at the same time, like with your bit of limelight here to be able to share the message of how can I best utilize my wild harvest, like you were saying, uh, be it your mission. And though one of the things as well is, is finding you is, is picking up the hashtag eat what you kill. I actually started picking that up and throwing that onto many of my harvest pictures and even the stuff that I, I make on there just because it resonates so much, I think, with with what I what I want to be able to portray about the images that I post or the things that I want to be able to share with the world is that um, there's no candy coating right now in this statement. We're not hiding the fact that we're killing something. There's no softening the edges that we're, we're taking a life. But at the same time, it throws the whole buck shaming, APR, you, you know, how many, how long is the beard stuff. It just throws that out the window as well. And it's pure intention and all the expectation of what I want to do with the animal that I just killed. And I loved how pointed that that hashtag is and i see that you post that on your website what what does that statement what does that hashtag mean to you when you slap that onto 
your memorabilia, when you slap that onto your pictures that you post, what is that statement that you're trying to say? Well, (laughs) I guess at its rawest form, it is um, how my granddad taught me to live. And, you know, he he grew up through the uh, Depression. Sorry. Grew up through the, uh, you know, the Great Depression um, in the 30s, not that little blip we had in 2008. (laughs) Um, You know, the, the kind of guy that I learned to wash tin cans, cut the bottoms out of, peel the labels off of and smash flat, you know, in 1976 before recycling was a thing. Right. So, and the whole piece of it, you know, I can remember him um, here in PA, you know, for the longest time, you know, we didn't have antler restrictions or anything like that, you know, shooting a four point and uh, you know, somebody making a comment of, well, if you'd have waited, it'd probably been a six point behind it. And my granddad, you know, doing his uh, signature snort and saying, can't eat the horns, you know, and, and that, that is it. And then growing up, you know, through business, um, it's the same thing. You know, you, you eat what you kill. I mean, in life, um, I also, my other saying is, you know, we can be better friends once you understand that something has to die in order for you to to live, uh, you know, so you can eat. And I don't care if it's a blade of wheatgrass or, or a squirrel or a cow. I mean, it's all the same stuff and eat what you kill. You know, there's there's a little bit of, you know, shock jock value to it. But at the same time, like you said, it's as simple and as pointed as I could be, um, you know, and, and, and I trademarked it. So it is me. It's my brand. Um, but, you know, it is far more than that because it is, you know, us as a human race. I mean, you, you don't people that struggle to understand that protein life all matter, you know, just keeps regenerating. And if you don't kill it and have someone do your killing for you, well, I guess that's okay. There's lots of people that live that way, but eating what you kill, harvesting it yourself is, you know, a throwback to, you were saying earlier, you know, our kind of our human origins. It's just, it's who we are. It's in our DNA. And that'll never change. I don't care how many robots, Bill Gates or Elon Musk or anybody else builds, you know, that's not going to change. Something has to die in order for you to eat. So, you know, grab a hold of your, uh, your humanhood, um, pick up a bow, pick up a gun, pick up a knife, pick up a trap, pick up a fishing pole, uh, and go catch yourself some dinner. And then watch some of my YouTube videos and see how to make it taste good. I love it. Just summed up right there. Get yourself an implement and go kill it. Well, you know, I mean, if you want to go out there in a white cloth, you bare hands or a rock. I mean, how about it? Um, <laughs> there, there are more efficient ways you know, um, to, uh, to do so. But, you know, I mean, people have the, these, these wild hog traps now, catfish traps. I mean, you know, you know, like you have, you know, the family poultry farm and more and more backyard, um, um, you know, farms and, and gardens. It's like, Oh, everybody's rediscovering how we lived before, you know, uh, social media first came along and then everything looked pretty on TV you know, watching Dallas back in the 80s. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's so funny to me sometimes, but it is what it is. <laughs> I've also taken it to, again, I've put a lot of thought into it, maybe too much thought. Maybe that's probably my problem. But I even look at it as almost a responsibility to that, you know, it, it is something to say, hey, eat what you kill, that, to send the message that you're saying as well. But also even to like turn that inward and to be like, you put this animal down, 
I now have a responsibility to consume as much of this animal you as possible. Absolutely do. When I when I take that animal and, and I want you to expound on this, that it's not just take the best parts of this. That's that's we're missing the point on just taking off the back straps or just breasting out the the big tom. Drives there's, me nuts. There's so much more that can be gleaned and had from from these animals. Well, and and that's the case, you know. I mean, you know, as a professional chef, you know, I I I had to chuckle. I don't know how many years ago it was 10, 12, 15, you know, when when the when the uh, uh, nose to tail butchery movement started and it was a hashtag and everything else. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> That's how I grew up. That's how people live for millennia, you know. But hey, if, if it helps bring some good uh, focused recognition to absolutely making the most of your harvest, then then I'm all for it, you know. As as long as it's you know responsibly done, and you know, at the end of the day, who gets to decide what's responsible or not? I don't know. We all get our own opinions, and um, those in the nickel still not going to buy us a soda. But the the uh, making the most of your harvest, like you said, um, turkey legs, turkey wings, turkey necks, turkey gizzards, turkey hearts, deer livers. You know, I mean, it, hell, I mean, clean clean the intestines out of your deer. You know, grind up, stuff it back into it, then smoke it. You know, I mean, it's that's that's how people ate and survived it, you know, and made great stuff. You know, it, it's not some new uh, fancy TikTok movement. I mean, it's been around a long time, but uh, it is a lot of fun. It is a way to bring family, friends together, to make new connections, to keep yourself connected with the natural world and the natural order of things. Um, and, you know, you consider yourself, a, you know, responsible, fairly moral human. Um, you know, I mean, look at, you know, everybody recycles. I mean, if, if you put your beer cans in a separate bag to sit out by the curb on Thursday morning, but you leave your turkey legs in the woods, I mean, ah, you're really confused. You got your priorities wrong. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's all very interesting to me and, you know, it can have a lot of great conversations, but the more of those conversations that get people thinking, and learning and wanting to understand better um, ways to use all their harvest the best they can. I'm learning ways to make it fun. I'm all about it. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit Tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your queue. 
Remind me again. I'm going to try and see if I can't rip this out by memory. The R3 is recruiting, retention, and then re-engagement is – am I getting that right? I hadn't heard of it, but it sounds great. <laughs> well, I think somebody fancy came up with those three terms, and that was really a pursuit that folks were having, especially within um, different outdoor groups or even through – I know Michigan's DNR was even really kind of on board with, with the R3, referring to that we need to – hey, we need to recruit more hunters – we need to retain hunters that we currently have, but then we need to, need to also find a way to re-engage with hunters that have uh, fallen away or have, have given up uh, the sportsman's lifestyle I, for whatever reason. Um, yeah. And I know it came to a point, too, that you were laughing that the fact that, like, nose to tail all of a sudden became, like, Oh, this is the new fad, but you're you're looking at it, you're like, wait, that's that's how folks lived. That's how we lived that we did. We ate everything from that. And as things are coming full circle, uh, when we're engaging new hunters, when we're engaging folks even open to the idea of talking to a hunter, food is a very strong gateway drug to that. It's it's visceral, it's in front of you. It's, it's got the smell and taste, and it's like, man, I I want this. This feels real, and like that's the best way to, I think, engage somebody in that conversation of how do we get you hunting. Are you, are you on board with that? You know, I, I am 100%, and it's, you know, I, I like to focus on the kids as much as I can, but, you know, the, the, the adult side is – I mean, a hundred percent there because it's not like, I don't care if you're 70 years old, you know, we, we can go rabbit hunting, we can go fishing and we can come back and, you know, I'll walk you through it and we'll make it taste great. And you can call me or text me anytime or watch a YouTube channel, whatever, you know, whatever you prefer on, you know, how to do it again on your own. And God bless you if you take somebody else with you the next time. But that's one of the reasons why I started doing um, this past year, I put off what I call, um, five of uh, my experience hunts where, you know, I booked hunters into an outfitters camp and they were all, they were all deer hunts. And I wanted to share with people how to, um, how I approach, you know, whitetail from a butchering perspective, you know, the field dressing and then cooking in different cuts and, and everything. And then plus add in the, the camaraderie of camp life and everything else. And, and that's something we're taking a little bit of a break from that this year. But man, a 23, watch out because that is going to be a platform that will be um, broadcast and digital for, you know, the, the best way that I know how to share, you know, my passion, my knowledge. And I don't have all the answers. I mean, you know, it, the, the best chefs out there learn every single day, as do the best hunters, as do the best anglers, you know, folks that do you know anything. You want to keep getting better. You know, you, you shut up when other people talk and you listen. And you pay attention, you make notes and you try it or you file it and uh, try it when it's, when it's time. But, you know, the, the recruitment retention, um, that is, has to be, I think anybody that wants to see whether it's from a conservation standpoint, from, from a traditions, culture standpoint, if you're not part of that, 
or, or doing at least a little bit for it, even if it's just through your own Facebook posts on your own personal account, um, then I think you're, you're missing out to help, you know, keep things perpetuated moving forward. So I, I'm sorry, I got a little passionate there for a minute, <laughs> but <laughs> hey, let me know, slide over another soapbox for you there, Jeremy. Step yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just stack another one up there. But you know, the, the, uh, the, the, and, and part of that, you know, the perception is, you know, it's cold, it's wet, um, deer meets gamey. Oh my goodness. I can never get a squirrel. There, there's, there's a lot of folks that I have, I have changed their tune, um, the whole way through because, once that harvest is there and they see that thing come apart and go in the cooler and then go on the grill or the, the smoker or the pan, I mean, then on the plate. And that's where I think rubber meets the road is making it delicious and helping people understand that they can harvest their own food, whether it's a morel or a deer or, you know, a bunch of other stuff too. Amen. Amen. And that's been a, I wouldn't even put it up to, our current hunters or even the ones that have kind of just hung it up um, and just kind of, I don't, I don't want to say taking the lazy route because for someone who doesn't live in the kitchen trying to, I don't, I don't want to say that wild meat isn't, it isn't a problem that needs to be solved, but it's an extension of the hunt. And at some point, and maybe this is just an opinion that I've that I've seen, is that there's been a there's been a halt, there's been a stop that the hunt ends after I have pulled the animal from the woods, and then the think the thought process past that was to uh, forget to think about how this animal lived. So how how then should I prepare it? Um, again, I got in late to the game in hunting but then before i before i got a chance to explore into everything that's available now on how to cook venison how to cook turkey how to cook upland bird waterfowl i mean things have just been really increasing increasing but those first things that you come across was well the first thing you do is wrap it in bacon or you know the first thing you're going to want to do is you know ah well don't even mess with that because it's gamey and I felt like that term was was almost like a I don't know I feel like we were pushing it off to like ah, I did my part I, I killed the animal and, and now that, that's all I'm going to worry about I'm going to push it off to the missus to make to make something or I or the person that belongs in the kitchen is going to take care of this and I don't have to but at the same time I feel like then we were ended up with this I don't know pseudo how can I cover it up and add a layer of ketchup to make it then taste good and I feel like that was a cop out at that point is is gamey gonna have to be a term that we get rid of if we're gonna really promote this wild game thing if we're gonna really show hunters how we can make their harvest taste amazing are we gonna have to delete gamey are we gonna have to cancel gamey basically that's how i should say (laughs) (laughs) the the cancel culture of gamey um you know i Oh, you, you ripped off a lot of good stuff there. So I'm going to get back on my soapbox for a second, if you don't mind. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so one of the things, you know, when people say it tastes gamey, um, I would challenge that first with, well, your palate is just too um, modern and soft, and you haven't tasted food that really 
speaks to its life, its environment, its diet. Um, just like your mom, your health and gym teacher um, might have told you back in the day, you know, you are what you eat. And so are the animals that you harvest. Uh, so are the animals that you buy at a grocery store. I mean, all that grocery store meat is pretty much made to, as genetically modified, you know, whether they want to tell you that or not, you know, to taste basically vanilla. And where it is, uh, you know, just getting us all ready for that feeding tube of the uh, plant-based sludge, you know, that, that's coming to planet Earth here, uh, the population in the not-too-distant future, I feel like. Anyhow, I'm sorry, I got a little political there. <laughs> but, you know, the, so to get that gamey taste out, and we just spent four months on the road, January through March. We were at a different outdoor show every weekend, and we saw tens of thousands of people. And their questions about cooking game, um, there were a lot of them that were like, I don't need deer meat because it's gaming. So, you know, I immediately start with, okay, well, what cuts do you usually cook? How do you cook them? What, what, what do you, what's the preparation process? Who field dresses it? What's, what's the after harvest care look like? Blah, 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 blah. And sometimes I come at them a little bit too fast because we're busy, whatnot. But when I have time to spend with them, I can walk them through from the time that animal, you know, uh, hits, hits the dirt to it hits their plate. You got to, you got to think that through a little bit, you know, and then you, you take into account things like, you know, the seasonings in the kits that I have, you know, through my hunt chef line, sausage, jerky, snack sticks, the brine kits, um, what they do for um, waterfowl, for venison, for wild boar, etc. That can replace a lot of that, but even just cold water and kosher salt, soaked overnight i mean that's what my granddad did with every single squirrel we killed and we killed hundreds a year um, before we cooked them so it's all in you know a little bit of training a little bit of handing down um you know knowledge and information and it's also about opening your mind you're not going to kill a squirrel it's have it taste like a pork chop it's not a pig <laughs> so you know to that end and just like if somebody goes out and shoots a uh, a wild or even you know still wild but resident goose it's not going to taste like you know the the turkey you mentioned earlier it's in your in your family poultry barn there are ways to go about it so you just have to do some research do some training ask some good questions you know use a little bit of critical thinking and your own palate and uh and and you'll get there so i think that uh the gamey piece uh, you're, you're making me think about like t-shirt designs now with, with funny gamey taste <laughs> sayings and, and weird scrunched up faces. Um, you know, making gamey delicious since 2009, uh, hunt chef Inc is like the first one I just thought about. Um, so I, I, I don't know if I even answered your question. I, I, I can get passionate and rant, um, uh, when, when I want to, but nope, uh, I think you hit the nail that, you know, on the head. You know, to me, and, and again, it's always that animal is always a product of its environment, of its diet, where it lived, what it ate. And, you know, a lot of people I've heard over the years say, you know, ah, I'm not eating a mule deer. that They taste all sagey. Well, did you ever brine a roast before you rubbed it, marinated it and smoked it? Well, no. So, OK, well, let's start there. <laughs> so things like that. Um, and, even you know, wild boar, people are like, oh, those big boars, they're just oh, they're, they're awful. Well, did, did you brine it before that? Did you do this? Did you do that? And they're like, no, no. So there are there are ways around the gamey, and uh, 
I don't know. I just would encourage people to uh, research and think and commit themselves to making the most of their harvest. So you're saying that I probably shouldn't drive around for a good half a day with that deer in the back of my truck showing it off to all my buddies. You're saying that's well, probably if you're gonna a bad do idea? That, sure, <laughs> if you're going to do that, make sure you leave your guts in it. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you do, don't 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 dress it and put ice in the cavity. <laughs> oh, taking notes right now, Jeremy. That's a that's a golden yeah, one right yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, this has been this has been wonderful. I feel like I've gotten a chance just to know know more about you, Jeremy. And so now it gets into now it gets into your specialty here. We're going to be cracking into some hands-on application here. And being that it is springtime, and even even here in Michigan, we are halfway through uh, our uh, turkey season, and I know there's probably several other states that have tags that need to be filled as well. So we want to get in on some Thunderbird here. Um, give me a quick breakdown of something that every turkey hunter should be able to do with a breast meat and a tenderloin. I tell you, it comes across as even a wild bird. It's it's such a mild meat, and it just takes so well to seasonings, to brines. What would be something that every hunter could walk away and say, you know what, if I want to get good at something, let's start with a turkey breast. Where would you send them on that direction? Well, two things. If you're brand new to it, do something as absolutely simple as a cutting it into strips across the grain of meat, season it, maybe even bread it, uh, whether you want to grill it, saute it, or, or deep fry it. If, if you're right at the beginning, or if, if you're not, if you just want some, something quick, simple, and delicious, that's absolutely the ticket. If you want to challenge yourself a little bit, and I mean only a little bit, lay that breast flat, get a good, sharp, thin-bladed knife, and what you're going to do, is what I call, is kind of butterfly it, and just continue to um, slice it till you have basically a, a fair about an inch thick sheet of breast meat. Uh, basically, uh, 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 slice it out so it unrolls like a roll of plastic wrap, and then season that. Make a stuffing of, of any sort. You want bread. You want rice. You want fruits. Um, anything along those lines. Mushrooms. Um, uh, uh, if you if you cook the legs, you know, in, in a crock pot or a slow cooker, and then you can pull that meat, cook it with aromatics, um, bread, rice, seasonings, fruit, etc., and then roll it back up after you seasoned it and, and uh, place that filling on there. And basically, you have in a in the traditional classical culinary term, you have a roulade, and mm. brown that in a skillet, and then cook it till it's a hundred and probably fifty two ish degrees in the center. Let it rest for on the counter for 15 minutes, and then slice that thing down. Um, you're you're going to be pleasantly pleased, I'm sure. Um, and there are so many, many, many more things to do, but um, I would say so. Slice it thin across the grain, season it, grill it, bread it, fry it, saute it um, as a very uh, simple starting point or as an easy snack. And then, um, but making those roulades um, are super easy. I'd pull the tenderloin out to cook on its own. Um, in a saute pan quickly, maybe you got some ramps, morels, favorite seasoning or sauce, uh, fruit wine to deglaze the pan with something along those lines. But if you square that breast up with the tenderloin out of it, and then you unroll it and then place that stuffing and seasoning on it, roll it back up and make yourself a, a stuffed wild turkey roulade, you'll, you'll be happy you did. Oh man. 
I've done that with a with a back strap, and I I referred to it off, off a deer, and I refer to it as a pinwheel. Um, yep. But now to know that it's called a roulade, that's that's so cool. And to do that with a with a turkey breast, if you want a presentation showstopper, you want to show it. that you uh, you want to you know really turn some heads. That's what you do. Drop you know cut that like you said, slice that, and now you show the cross section of where it's all rolled together. That's super neat. It is. And, you know, and again, um, wild meats along with domestic, but wild meats in particular because of their diet, because of the makeup, you know, even even a quick um, eight to 12 hour brine, whether it's with one of my kits or you want to go really simple with just some salt water goes a long way to flavor. And more importantly, um, in the wild meats, moisture retention when you cook them, because, you know, there's no they don't have the intramuscular fat that you know uh, commodity market even even home farm raised animals have because you know they're not they're not walking into a coop at night they're not walking in the barn at night they're not laying down in the pasture tree or cut at night they're flying up in a tree they're they're hiding under a tree you know they're going down into a burrow so um that intramuscular fat in the wild in the wild meat just isn't there so brining um is a uh is a huge huge piece and you know, we we can have another podcast all about Brian if you want to someday. <laughs> oh, you bet. Well, that's that's Jeremy chalking up for episode two. I'm making notes now. He's gonna he's gonna get he's gonna get called up again. <laughs> um, but going with that with that Brian you mentioned, you've got already a bunch of pre-made kits, and for someone just starting out, like, you know, I I've seen people that are like, oh, I don't I don't want to just buy something off the shelf that I'm gonna get a chance to use. But at the same time, if you've got a kit that someone's helped put together, and especially I would say one from you, you've got years of knowledge and experience working with this wild protein that I'm sure you've got a you've got probably some upland birds, some some turkey, some waterfowl specific uh, brines and seasonings and rubs that's probably going to just man put you a step in ahead if you're trying to get started. Well, that's the thing, you know. We've got twelve seasonings um, that we that we package right now. Um, three sausage kits, three kits to make jerky and snack sticks, and then three brine kits. And they're all, you know, developed by a guy, me, you know, that's had you know this culinary career and worked with all these people, um, had all this experience with um, so many uh, different cuisines and cultures. And then, you know, pairing it with my background and upbringing of cooking, hunting, fishing, and cooking everything with my grand grandparents. Um, so all of them focus towards, you know, making wild game better, um, but at the same time, great on domestic meats. So, you know, take one of my brine kits. I mean, really, the whole reason I put it together was to make a ham, um, a smoked ham out of a deer hind leg to bring that moisture retention and flavor to a wild turkey breast, to a wild boar rack of ribs or a wild boar loin. But, you know, if you soak uh, six ch- whole chickens from the grocery store, pork loin, pork shoulder, you know, brisket uh, in them, I mean, it just it comes out fantastic. And, uh, you know, the seasonings, the, the feedback we get on a daily basis, I mean, we get nothing but five-star reviews on the website. So... We are we're, we're blessed for the following we have. We're blessed for the the um, positivity that Hunt Chef Nation brings 
to us to fuel our fire every day. And, you know, like I said earlier, um, I, I haven't, I've been yapping on my soapbox. I haven't, uh, it really introduced your audience to, uh, uh, Mr. Michael Dick, you know, right hand man, the hunt chef nation and all things hunt chef. He's sitting here with me and, you know, he, he ships and fills every order that comes in, whether it's a, uh, an individual through the website or a retailer. And, you know, he's done so many of these shows and talked to so many people, even more than I have at the shows. And if you don't mind for a second, Nick, I'd like to have Mike chime in and talk to, to let folks know what the feedback has been on the brine kits, because they're really versatile, um, not just as a wet brine, but also as a dry seasoning. And um, without further ado, here's right-hand man, Mike Dick. Yeah, Here thanks I for am. coming on, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. So if we could back this truck up just a, a smidgen, when we were talking about nose to tail, you know, one of the things that I heard a lot at some of these shows, <clears throat> folks would come up and look at the seasonings, but they would they would look at the brine kits or jerky kits or what have you. Um, and, you know, their tradition, if you will, was to take that harvest to their local butcher, have them cut it up for them, et cetera, and what have you. But I came to find that a lot of folks were interested in those particular products because they wanted to start doing it on their own. Um, and, and, and a lot of it was a sense of accomplishment, if you will, um, you know, that yes, and it goes back to what we talked about showing that animal, uh, the respect that it's well-deserved. Um, you know, they wanted to take the pride into making their own jerky or, uh, making their own ham or, or what have you. So, um, just to kind of touch on that, that note a little bit, which is awesome and great. And, you know, as chef said, you know, these kits were the the brine kits were developed as as a way to you know make your own venison ham bear ham you know um brine your goose breast goose legs whatever the case might be um but they're so versatile and one of the things that i'm surprised chef hasn't said yet this evening oh. is that I, I'm, this is going to be a good thing chef. no it's, i've said a lot <laughs> <laughs> you know you know we have you know we have a brown sugar kit okay so Brown sugar brine kit. Brown, brown sugar brine kit. And, you know, that's what it is. But make it your own, as with any anything that we put out there. Um, you know, make it your own. If you, you know, if you want, if you want it savory and a little bit of herb in there, then go ahead and do it when you're brining, you know, that pork loin or that backstrap or that, you know, chicken, chick, whole chicken or whatever it is. You know, make it your own. You know, we're, we're kind of giving you a a free ride here, if you will, and a, and and a not necessarily a roadmap, but at least a starting point, um, you know, that you can you can go go with and go from. Take it, make it your own. That yes. is so cool that you haven't written the full book here, gentlemen. That you've left that that last chapter to the hunter and the preparer at that point to then take what you've created and even create something more. Because you, well, I think you hit it just on the, or uh, I think you really nailed it home there with saying that not only is it with the nose to tail, people are wanting to eat more, but now it's, I'm, I'm cha like they have an inward challenge to do that. They're intrinsically motivated, if I'm going to use my education terms at this point, uh, to make something brand new, to have their own jerky. Mike, do you get a bunch of guys walking up? with a fistful of jerky being like, now get a load of this. Do you guys end up putting on, eating so much at the show of <laughs> tasting jerkies that you don't need dinner at the night? 
Uh, surprisingly, no. Oh no, um, <laughs> no, no. We don't we don't get a whole lot of that. Um, you know, one of the things also I find, um, and there's nothing wrong with this whatsoever. You know, you start up a conversation with these folks when they walk up to the table, and they'll maybe pick up one of the jerky kits and they'll look at it, and then you know they'll put it back down. Um, and they'll look at me and say, oh, I make my own jerky. I have my own recipe. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. If that's what you're happy with and you want to do, you know, we're providing that novice, <clears throat> that novice to new to this, this sport of ours, um, a pathway to start to learn how to do these things. Um, you know, everything's measured out. All they got, all they have to do is figure out how much they want to make, weigh out that protein, um, and, and go from there. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, as they gain experience with it, then, hey, you know, let them do their thing if they want to find other recipes or, or add to our, our kits. Um, as I said about the brine kits, you know, have at it. And that's the great thing about food, just food in general. Make it your own. Make it what you want. Make it what you, you think tastes good. Um, you know, and, and to the point of, you know, everybody's palate is different. You know, yes. I was very fortunate for many years to, to be able to harvest an antelope and a mule deer out in Wyoming. And they definitely tasted like sage because that's where the critter lived. It lived on the prairie and that's, you know, that was their food source. Um, you know, but there are ways to get around that if, if you so don't enjoy that on your palate. Gotcha. Mike, what yes, has sir. been the, what's been the biggest how am I trying to say this? From the fifth quarter, from the inside, we're going with a piece of organ. What has been a very fun challenge for you to try out, either on an antelope or a mule deer? What's been an organ that you yourself have kept and, and tried to cook something with? Well, um, very much similar to Chef. I was born and raised in, in, in this environment. Um as as long as I can remember, the only thing I ever wanted to do was um, go hunting on the first day of deer season with with my dad and um, and, and a great great friend of ours. Um, and I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait until I turned twelve years old to be able to do that. Um, and very much like Chef, you know, we we ate the deer liver, we ate the deer heart. Um, you know, we you know we didn't go as far as cleaning out the intestines to make sausage with. But, um, you know, we ate nose to tail back then. And Chef and I are pretty similar in age. Um, but we, we grew up in the same environment, same lifestyle, um, and what have you. So there really wasn't any surprises um, as, of, as of late. I mean, you know, and we, we, we've cooked coyote. We've cooked groundhog. Chef's cooked raccoon, beaver, you know, um, all very delicious animals. And... Um, uh, the coyote was very surprising because I know what they smell like. Um, but once you get their bark off of there and you take care of them um, and you treat them right, just as we talked about the, you know, the white tail and the gaminess, um, coyotes, coyotes are good, good, good eat. Oh, good, good. I feel like it's like the same thing. We also need to have you guys work on um, uh, the Asian carp. I think we got to get some really good recipes for Asian carp if we can't. If we can't kill our way out of it, we'll at least eat our way out of this mess that we've created up all through the Mississippi. Mm. Well, we're we're absolutely down with uh, um, trying to find new and exciting and delicious ways to to do that. And I've actually um, changed two emails today 
I'm trying to get Mike and I and hopefully uh, my son Warren out to the Midwest after those things and uh, try our hand at it. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to be headed up to Lake Ontario. We're fishing there Tuesday um, in out of New York with our great buddy Ed Sobislay. He's a charter captain, has controlled chaos charter fishing, and I cannot wait to just chunk up some incredibly fresh king salmon eat it over the charcoal and so there, there's that's one of the things that i love the most you know i've been blessed to work like i said earlier a couple of times across the country and back um and then just meet and eat with folks from all over but that's you know the big part of of hunt chef is we travel a ton whether it shows hunting fishing um going to um engagements we just are out to spread the eat what you kill gospel, help people better prepare their harvest, and um, you know, and run a responsible, you know, um, home-based small business. So we're uh, we're blessed to to be doing what we're doing with the people we're doing it with. Um, thank you so much for having us here. I mean, the uh, the opportunity to share with your audience what we do, why we do it. I can't thank you enough. As I'm sitting here, Mike was talking, so of course I opened my phone and. We just got an order through the website from Utah uh, for a bunch of Hunt Chef Wild flavor. And, you know, we're just going to keep this train rolling. And I hope that uh, your Hunt of War, I love the name, by the way. I didn't get to say that earlier. No, is, thank you. I, I don't care if you pick it, shoot it, catch it, trap it, whatever. I mean, uh, Hunt of War, eat what you kill. I mean, we're, we're on the same platform here, brother. And, and I appreciate you more than you, than you know. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, one. I guess we've come to the crescendo here of our show. Okay, this is it. Steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked? That want no question. You hungry? Hey, ma, we get some meat loud. We're the end of the and you heard about it. Um, I had two questions, and it was going to be for Chef, but now with, with Mike sitting here and just showing off his knowledge and his passion, too, I'm going to split it up so you each get one last scenario. How does that sound? Sounds great. Great. Excellent. So I'm going to start with Mike on this first one. Mike, you need to sell someone who is open to the idea of hunting but has not yet taken up hunting, and you need to push them over just a little more nudge to get them to join uh, in the fraternal order of hunters. What is going to be your venison dish that's going to be on the grill that you're going to serve them to give them that one leg up to saying, all right, I'm going to join you in the archery season or in the rifle season. But the, here's the kicker. Uh, with your experience, you don't get to use backstrap or tenderloin in this one. you got to think outside the box. Okay. Um uh well i'm gonna i'm gonna take the hind quarter and i'm gonna break it down um into the different uh muscle groups that are, are back there and probably the most tender one back there on a hind quarter is going to probably gonna be the eye around um that we would all know uh from our our grocery days looking at the meat counter on the beef um slice it down and then um i'm gonna throw it in a ziploc bag with with some oil and some low down and dirty uh, barbecue rub, let that set on the counter for probably about 20 minutes, half hour while I get my grill, uh, good and hot, and then, uh, take it out there and, and give it a quick sear 
um, on both sides um, on the grill. Nice. I like that. The eye around really is, I, I call it the hidden tenderloin. You know, if I were to put one of those down with a tenderloin and then ask someone who maybe not be as versed in, uh, in butchery technique, I don't think they could tell the difference between the two. I, it would be hard. It would be hard. Gotcha. Well, hey, good work. I think I think you pushed them over. I think they're going to be joining in next season. This one is for is this one's for Chef. This one's for Jeremy. Uh, this one is somehow you've ended up on death row. People are done and tired of hearing about your wild game pursuits and trying to push this this meat on to us, and they've had enough. But before they off you the next day, they've granted you one last meal what is going to be your last meal there jeremy well and because i've been fortunate enough to harvest one uh in in my two in my many years on this earth and i know what it is and and how it is and i don't mean to sound all chefy on you but you know i would take a moose osabuco um with some great over some great risotto with some aged parmesan reggiano um, some duck fat braised carrots and you know if you had some uh, porcini mushrooms sauteed and just a little bit of extra virgin olive oil with a touch of garlic and some of my tendering seasoning um i'd probably die a happy man <laughs> you're gonna make that you're gonna make that chef work his tail off in order to be your last meal Perfect. well well and, and, you know, you got to take that Osabuco braising liquid um, and make, you know, the pan sauce just right with, with probably a 15-year-old Barolo as well. So you better get to work. Yes, yes. I tell you, the the shank cut is one that I, I do love that as well, just for the whole be- idea of being able to braise that low and slow. And when you pull that on out, it is such a velvety uh, texture. And it's just, oh, man, all that collagen that just broke down just creates that beautiful sauce. You're right. That is a, that's a meal to die with right there. Well, I, uh, again, you know, the, the one I was fortunate enough to harvest, there was two of us taking it down, and we were 300 miles from nowhere, and I wasn't leaving without those moose shanks. So I, I know how precious they are and how delicious Excellent, excellent. Well, gentlemen, please hold on for just a second as I let my listeners on out. Folks, I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation. We just had a chance to just pick the brain of the Hunt Chef and of Mike here, who's been his right-man man man, uh, for all these years, that we've been able to just explore the whole idea of what it means to hunt your own food, that we are going to eat what we kill and not be apologetic but use that as our slogan to also keep us responsible, to keep us pursuing and honoring these animals uh, until we are no longer able to do that. And I hope we gave you some direction, too, as you're using your newly found turkey meat here, that when you are using your knife to make that rumelot, that rollot, where you're wanting to butterfly it out as a large sheet, make sure that thin knife is very sharp. <laughs> 